listening to the Audio Nowcast, sponsored by API and Wire World Pro Audio. Now from the Nowcast Network Studios, here's Mike. Hey, welcome to the Audio Nowcast. My name is Mike Rodriguez, and before we get going, let me introduce the panel. Starting with Mr. Nick Peck. Nick. Good evening, Mike. Good evening, gentlemen. It is, it is good for my heart to see the three of you, I have to say. Oh, it's so good to see you, too. Uh, followed by Mr. Brandon Birdside. Hey, Mike. Hey, guys. Good to see everyone. Brandon, good to see you. And finally, the Iron Man of the Audio Nowcast. This is show 207, Mr. Rob Arbiter. Hello, everyone. How's everybody tonight? I'll tell you, man, it's uh, just when you think it can't get any worse, it gets worse. I'll never, never <laughs> think that. <laughs> I, I tend to be an optimist, but lately um, it's, it was just crazy. You know, after our last podcast, because we record these podcasts on Thursday, you know, uh, man, Thursday, it started getting bad, but Friday, Saturday, Sunday, oh man, it was just really gnarly out here in Los Angeles and it just got really bad. And, and first of all, you know, I just got to say up, up front that um, obviously nobody can, you know, words, I struggle to find the words at the sheer horror that I saw on that, on the videotape and what happened. And, and it was just so bad and it's just so wrong. And, and I totally understand the, the anger that, that people have and the people going out there and protesting and just to see it, just to see the, just the lack of regard for humanity was just so appalling. And, and my heart goes out to the family and we just got to change and things have to be a little different than where they were. You know, I spent my whole career, most of my career uh, on the road working with R&B acts and working with, you know, not only Stevie Wonder, but I worked with acts like Silk and Shy and SWV and Tony Rich Project. And, and you know, my best memories are actually just working with all those guys. And there was small little things that, that I knew their life experience is a little bit different than my life experience. You know, I came from a surfer town in South Orange County, right? I didn't have soul food <laughs> until I was on the road. Really. I wasn't exposed to, to any of that type of food. And, um, but every now and then we'd go to a town and I'd hang out with the band members. And I just remember one time my friend um, Valdez, we were, I forgot what town it was, but it was down South and we wanted to go someplace. And he's like, no, I shouldn't go. And I go, what? He's like, no, it's just, that's just not a place for people like me, you know? And it's just these small little comments, things that you yeah. realize that, that, you know, people have different life experiences. And, and he came from Detroit with his brother and they're just the best people on the planet. And, and so it's just, the, the thing about it is I love the fact that in music, you know, we're very progressive and, and you worked in mixed cultural situations all the time. You know, I was on the Budweiser Superfest and, and, you know, at that time, I didn't know any other Latinos that were out there being uh, uh, on the road. So it was, it was just a really, um, it was a family, you know, we were all a family. And then obviously Rob working with Stevie Wonder, you know, it's just, it's just all a family. So I'm, I'm glad that, in music, there's a there's this certain element of harmony that we have, but I do know that we still have a long way to go um, in in this whole conversation, you know. But I, I we had to talk about it up front because I just had to, you know, just really drive the point that you, you know we all have to just do a good job of getting along with everybody and just getting along with people and of all races, of all colors, of all culture. And certainly as I've done all the traveling that I've done in the past um, year and a half or so, just seeing, you know, all these different people, man, we're all on this planet together. We all have to have to get along and we all have to work together. Now saying that I want to segue over into the really horrible part of this past weekend, which was, was the rioting that went off and the yeah. rioting was so bad. And it got me thinking of a couple of things. I had a couple of friends that were working. One was working in an edit shop in, in Burbank and they literally had to go and 
they took all their computers and basically all the expensive stuff, the computers and the hard drives, and they just boom, boom, disconnected everything and put them all in the car and took off because they didn't know what was going to happen. And then I had another friend over in, in Hollywood who's working in a studio and he ended up having to take his computer and his hard drive and just unplug everything super quick and then just get the heck out of there. And then that's when, you know, that was the beginning of the weekend and then they had all the, um, all the closures and all the uh, curfews. And it was just, you know, my heart sank when I saw them walking down Hollywood, I mean, Sunset Boulevard, and you walk past some of the really historic studios that are still there, like Sunset Sound. And you're like, oh, please, please don't, don't, don't. <laughs> there's a lot of history there, you know? And, uh, and thank God everybody, you know, had cooler heads and nothing happened there. But these guys were so panicked when I talked to them. I mean, it was just like trying to, trying to survive in this crisis. And, and, and it got me thinking, guys, and I want to ask all of you, to tell me a story of, of functioning when you had to function in a time of crisis. Um, anybody have anything that they want to start out with? You know, Rob, do you have a story about functioning in a time of crisis? Um, I do. Nothing about this crisis because thanks to the pandemic, I was already like holed up at, you know, just working at home. So uh, nothing was going to change. But I... <clears throat> Definitely have stories back from the last big riots in 92 after the Rodney King verdict. And we were actually in rehearsals with Stevie to go to Europe. And I forget where we were rehearsing, someplace in North Hollywood, but we had a huge, actually we had two sound stages and the band was set up in one sound stage, And then we had an orchestra set up in the other sound stage. Was that third encore? Do you remember? I don't remember. Okay. I was just curious. It's been a while. Yeah. <laughs> a while. But, uh, we were at the rehearsal and I remember they had a ton of cables run between the two buildings so that, uh, you know, the band could be monitoring the orchestra and vice versa. It was a really complicated setup. And it was right as the riots broke out and a curfew was set. But we were in the middle of rehearsal when the curfew went off. And so everybody was panicking. Nobody knew how they were going to get home. So we ended up cutting the rehearsal short, but then we all had to figure out how to get home because you weren't allowed to be out on the street. So everybody ended up, uh, this is way before Google Maps or everything, <laughs> everybody sat with Thomas Guides and, and basically figured out how to get home <laughs> on back streets because you didn't want to be seen on a main street because you could get pulled over. Oh, wow. And I remember then we, the first day, we cut rehearsal early. And then the second day, I don't know whose idea it was, but we did try to rehearse again the second day and half the people couldn't get there and then everything fell apart until after. Wow. Wow. The tour was leaving. I forget the exact date, but the tour was leaving within like four or five days. So it was last minute, ultra panic. Uh, and we ended up going on the tour without all the rehearsals, basically. Wow. That, 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 you know, that's the kind of incident where like, there's just this weirdness in the air and you just don't know. That's the thing. Is I remember driving at the time I was living near Universal Studios and, and having to get home all on back streets. Because I thought, oh, if I go out on, you know, name any street you've heard of here, I'm going to get pulled over. Yeah. Or, yeah. or some violence could break out. I mean, at that point, L.A. was on fire. Like, you could see the flames in the distance. Yeah. So it, was, it was definitely surreal. Wow. That, that is crazy. But, like, that's the thing, though. It's like working in the entertainment industry, like, when they say the show must go on, it literally still must go on. you got to find a way to, to keep going on some of this stuff. It's, it's really... It, it's 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 one of the few things that like you just can't push off till tomorrow <laughs> well, no no and the reason that this ended up working out okay is the orchestra that we had rehearsing with us was just there so we could hear what the sheet music sounded like because once we got to europe we had a different orchestra in each oh, that's city good. so it was really mm. just test orchestra to play through the music to make sure everything was in the right key and that kind of thing so it didn't matter that those players didn't get more rehearsal right what about you nick well, I have, you know, I have so much to, to say about this topic. You know, Martin Luther King said, you know, the riot is the language of the unheard. And, you know, what he meant by that was, you know, the, the dispossessed who don't have a voice, who don't have a voice that people are hearing, how else can they vote but with their feet? And they do it, you know, with incredible anger. Um, my first protest, <laughs> I was two years old. 
and I'll never forget, I remember it to this day, we were walking through Golden Gate Park and protesting the Vietnam War. And I have marched in every protest since then, you know, George H.W. Bush, George W. Bush, anytime that, uh, you know, America was, and of course, well, and of course the current president. Um, the, this situation, I was too scared to, to go out and, and protest. It was so out of control and it just seemed like I couldn't figure out where you could go to be able to, you know, to stand with, with the oppressed and to make your, you know, your, your opinion known with your feet where I wouldn't be worried about getting caught in a curfew, getting arrested, getting, you know, being near somebody who's, you know, who's, who, who is doing a lot of violence and stuff. And so I didn't find the opportunity in this last week to be able to go out and, uh, and join. But I certainly, <laughs> I certainly would have if it was a slightly different story. These curfews were terrifying. And as a single parent trying to shuttle children back and forth with my ex-wife and all of a sudden the curfew is an hour earlier I mean it was very very stressful to to deal with you know just on a personal level but again nothing nothing compared to the suffering of you know the people that this is all about um crises though let's see uh being from the bay area I'll never forget um the 1989 Loma Prieta earthquake. So I wasn't, I wasn't here for 94, but I was most certainly there for that. Wow. And I felt I was driving down highway 101 and I felt like I had a flat tire. All of a sudden my, my car started driving really weird. And I said, do I have a flat tire? And then I looked forward and it looked like the road was sort of waving up and down. And then I saw off in the distance, a power, a power junction, explode and go off like a mushroom cloud or something, you know, like a local, a local power junction that would feed a town, that kind of thing. And I thought, this is the weirdest thing ever. And then I drove uh, to my mother's house and stopped and forgot about it, turned on the TV to see the news. And the news was a helicopter over the San Francisco Marina district, which was completely engulfed in flames. And, wow. you know, that was this moment where we were terrified because my brother was living in San Francisco on the other side and we did, couldn't get a con in contact. You know, this was before cell phones. We couldn't get in contact with him. We didn't know what was going on, whether he was safe. Um, but as far as a crisis relative to, to our industry, um, I've been in other crises that um, I feel are so relevant to what's been going on, you know, before, before, the, situ before the current situation, uh, which is being in a company in which everybody gets laid off. So a couple of times now, um, I've been at video game companies that have shut their doors, you know, the kind of thing where you walk in the door one morning and your email doesn't work and nobody's email works. And then... HR, you know, comes in and tells you that you're all fired and then they, you know, process you uh, with a bunch of paperwork. And the next thing you know, it's the mid-afternoon and you're with 50 people that you've just spent the last six years working with um, sitting in a bar drinking and trying to, you know, figure out what's next. And I remember just how scared I was. I mean, I had a little baby at the time and how enraged I was you know, at sort of the injustice of it after us all working so hard to, you know, build this video game company and all of that. And I had such terrible feelings about it. And I just remember that now when I think of the tens of millions of Americans that have lost their jobs over the last couple of months. And it just, I just feel so, I just feel so bad. And that is just as real a crisis as COVID. And it's just as real a crisis, um, you know, as the events of this last week. Absolutely. And, and there's just a lot of fear and uncertainty in, in yeah. times like that and just trying to function. I understand that totally. Brandon, what about you? Uh, what about any, any stories of having to function in a time of crisis? Yeah, sort of. Um, I mean, just one comment on the current situation. I mean, what, what is going on right now is that Antifa is infiltrating these peaceful protests and they're the ones causing all the violence. These, there's evidence these people are being bussed in, they're being paid. It's like, you do have good people out there protesting and that's fine, they have a right to do that, but it's the violent you know, infiltrators that are causing, they're overtaking this whole thing and causing it to be what it is. Opportunists, big time. 
Exactly. And then there's the opportunists who are, there's the instigators, there's the opportunists who are just the idiots who happen to be around and go, hey, the window's broken. I'm going to go and take some shit. So that's going on. Anyways, uh, my story is kind of funny. It was, well, two thoughts. One, when these riots started occurring, my first thought was, oh man, if I was 10 years younger and a little bit stupider, I'd be out there with my recording gear recording some riots right now. <laughs> Until I got, you know, my riot, my, excuse me, until I got my gear stolen or somebody shot me because my, my uh, shotgun mic looks like a shotgun. It looks like a gun. <laughs> Anyways, um, just stupid thoughts that young Brandon would have been doing. Um, the second story is sort of related to that back at Trailer Park. Mike, I don't remember if you remember this. I think it was, I hope I'm not confusing two things, but the DJ Cascade did like some appearance yep. at the Hollywood, at, uh, across the street at the Chinese Theater. Was he going to? Yeah, something like that, but tweeted it out to, I don't know how many millions of fans he had, but they all showed up and the police weren't ready for it. And so Hollywood Boulevard got swarmed with, with you know, people out there just to, you know, not to riot, but just to see Cascade. And then uh, some idiots were jumping on police cars and then there was like riot gear all of a sudden. And so I, of course, and like I was describing earlier, grabbed my field rig. I'm up on the roof of Trailer Park, like recording what's going on. <laughs> down on down on the uh on the ground there so you know never never a dull opportunity but i i was wondering if there's anyone you know who has a studio downstairs or or not downstairs excuse me downtown or something or somebody who lives downtown who has field gear if they've actually gotten any you know amazing recordings of, of riots going on right. well i'll tell you what the friends that i have that were working right off there off of uh, sunset and i'm not going to tell the studio but they uh were way too scared to do to do any of that stuff. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they were, it would be stupid uh, to do, but, but younger no, me might have done it. No, you know what? <laughs> if if you were had like a portable rig and your microphone didn't wasn't like a long shotgun that looked like a gun, yeah. that that might be one thing. But uh, you know, just to document it, just to have a a, a document, I I understand that. But <laughs> it's you know when you face with those decisions, and we're going to talk about this after after I tell my story. Um, I got, I got some advice and you guys can add on to the advice, but let me tell my story. I've, and I got two and they're pretty short. One time um, we were in, I was working with uh, Teddy Riley um, and the band guy. And uh, I had this huge MIDI setup, and, and uh, we had already set up for the show. We'd already done sound check for the show and the promoter didn't come up with the money that he needed to for, for the band. Now you got to understand that the only leverage the band has to get paid is that performance, right? So it's not like they're going to go do the performance and then hope this guy is going to give them a check at that time or anything. Like there was no wires or anything. So it started delaying the opening act more and more. And we're like, what's going on? What's going on? And finally, the, the tour manager came up to us and said, get in the bus right now. Whatever you need to do, do it fast and get in the bus right now. And I'm like, why? What's going on? And he goes, we're leaving because they're about to cancel the show. Now, the whole arena was packed. So everybody was there and they're about to cancel the show for the whole arena because they didn't, um, you know, come up with the money for the, for the gig. So what I did is thank God. God, I had the wherewithal and I put all my back covers on my racks because my racks were open in the back facing the audience. So I just covered them. I just went boom, 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 boom. Right. Um, unplugged a couple things. Boom, boom, boom. And, uh, and then left and we got into the bus and then we actually, we actually left. Then they canceled it. They canceled the performance. And obviously, as you would expect, there was kind of a small little riot going on and people were upset and everything. We came back because we had to tear down and the stage was just littered with all kinds of trash and all kinds of stuff. And I just remember looking at all that and going, thank God I put the lids on my racks on. It's like I left the fronts open, but the fronts weren't facing the audience, but the backs were. And I was like, oh, thank God I did that. You know, because the last thing I would want to do is have to unrack everything to clean soda, you know. <laughs> and well, to test every last piece of gear. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. On a similar note, I was working with SWV 
and we were at the forum and we're playing the song um, and it was like the first or second song. And then we look out and as I'm looking out, all of a sudden I hear pop, pop, pop. And then seat cushions went flying up in the air. And during their set, there was a shooting down in the audience and it just turned into mayhem like overnight. And I will say that the, the SWV, their security man, they, they got those girls out. And then we all just went running for, uh, there was no time to put any lids on. We, we went running for the bus. And as we were running out, I just remember LAPD was running in and uh, that was, that was kind of scary. That was, that was, those two incidents were like, I'll just never forget those. It's, it's, you know, you have to think fast and sometimes you have time to put the lids on and sometimes there's, there's no time to put the lids on. But it got me thinking and I wanted to um, open this up for you guys is if you're going to have to react in a time of crisis to, um, to incidences, what advice would you give? Here's, what I, here's my thinking and, and then you guys add on to this. First of all, um, you should always have some type of plan as to if anything happens, I hate to say this, but what you're going to grab first, right? What, what's, what is going to happen? What are you going to pull out? And, and by all means, I think the number one thing that you need to preserve and keep is the stuff that's the most irreplaceable. And that, quite frankly, is, is, is your data, right? If you don't have a backup, if you don't have an offsite backup, if you don't have something that you have your data on, that's by all means the most important thing in most people's studios, especially if you're a working studio, is your data. No, I'm going to grab my console. <laughs> Good luck with that. Yeah, that'd be practical. No, and then let me just tell you something else. The second thing you need to grab is the computer that you're working whatever it is that you're working on right then and there to make this data make sense then you need to pull that like you may have all this data and all these programs but if you don't have your your computer that has all the let's say all your plugins that you need everything that makes this data make sense then it's going to be really hard not that you couldn't find another program but by all means, you need to grab your data, then, then grab your computer. Just unplug everything and just grab those two things because that's going to be, that's the key to your business. That's the key to what you have. And obviously, let me just say this before, you know, I get any comments. This is, you know, you got to take care of all lives first. People are the most important yeah. thing, you know? So I'm not, I'm not saying it's a, a choice between your girlfriend or your wife and your computer. You know what I mean? I'm just saying these are the steps you, you kind of have to think about. But which also makes sense is why you want to have a really good backup solution, a really good storage solution, you know, because you just never know. Because if you don't have to worry about your data because you know it's backed up, then by all means, you know, keep going down the list, you know, okay, you got your CPU you want to bring out, then, you know, any kind of irreplaceable fill in the blanks. But, and, and that's when you have to bug out. And in California, you never know when you have to bug out. No. Whether it's fires or whether it's earthquake or whether it's, you know, you know, what's happening now. It's just, you just should have a plan as to how you're going to treat your assets around and what you want to to save and how you want to save it, you know? And for me, like for me right now, you know, the most important stuff that I have is all this footage that I have for these various projects that I'm working on that's irreplaceable because it's footage that, you know, it's 10 years old and there's just no way I'm gonna, gonna redo that. Now, thank God I have not only the stuff here, but I also have offsite, like 60 miles away, <laughs> I have uh, I have a producer who has a whole copy of, of everything that I'm working on here. So it works out really well. But I don't know, guys, do you have any other other suggestions, any other hints and uh, tips for people that have to just react, <laughs> just like full on react? Yeah, um, my priorities are completely different than that. Um... You know, I have a background in Boy Scouts, so, you know, the motto, be prepared. And I have multiple layers of bug out materials ready, including full on medical 
like a full-on well, medical bag and yeah, I'm, like I'm, but immediate I'm not... three-day survival backpacks for everybody in the house sure, and no, all but, of that kind of stuff. But I'm not, I'm not necessarily talking about that because I'm, because I'm t- everybody, like I said, all on the personal level, everybody has to be prepared. I'm talking about in your work, if you're, mm-hmm. if you ha- if you're in the middle of doing something, if you're offsite, I don't know, just things that pertain to to having to react at work in, in crisis and what, what you need because yes obviously everything i'm talking about is secondary to anything on a on a uh, you know with the family and then on a human level but but it's still something we got we got to think about so you know pertaining to your studio pertaining to anything that we make our living with you know yeah, yeah mike it's I, you're making me think about it right now i it's really a conversation about, you know, what, what data backup are we doing? You know, cause that's what, I mean, I think it's, you said it, you know, grab your hard drive. That's the most important thing. Everything else can be replaced as far as gear goes. Um, but yeah, right now I'm like, I'm, I'm using this program called carbon copy to back up to a duplicate, you know, uh, like raid rated 10 terabyte hard drive that I have, but I'm going, Hmm, maybe I should, I need to get some sort of cloud thing as well as a third backup. Cause what if my, garage burns down where my studio is you know then exactly. both of my hard drives are gone so yeah that that's i mean i think that's a smart way to do it have some sort of cloud storage and then you know a duplicate of some sort what do you guys do well i i work at disney so all of our stuff is on audio servers that are backed up in malaysia or something i have no idea where but uh <laughs> you know we are set up and we use carbon copy cloner too and i love it um you know we are set up where you know, I think the worst possible situation would be me or one of my guys loses like a week of work at the, at the worst, which would suck. But you know, that's, that's the beauty of the internet online backup. And there are lots of inexpensive solutions for people that, you know, don't have a corporate thing like that going on. There are plenty of uh, other, you know, there are plenty of other, you know, individual backup plans that you can have with things. The problem with them, of course, I'll bet Rob was going to talk to this, is that, you know, when you're talking about terabytes of data, you know, it can take weeks (laughs) to upload all that stuff. So that's the downside. You know, you're putting it through a little teeny tiny straw. Yeah, when you're you're doing big, like, giant video files and that kind of thing, bandwidth is the problem. I mean, I've actually been investigating this lately because a lot of times what I've done is just use Dropbox or Google Drive as sort of my main work drive. That way you know everything's getting synced up to the cloud and back up. I just have security concerns with, with some of that stuff. And it's not like they've been hacked on a regular basis or anything like that. I haven't actually heard any horror stories about either one of them because uh, everything's stored encrypted and uh, they have varying degrees of encryption. But I've have you guys ever heard of stories of like somebody's files in Dropbox or Google Drive getting hacked? I have no. No, I, I've, I haven't heard anything like that. And, uh, and working I, with I will say the government is able to subpoena uh, things that are stored there. And those uh, companies do have the ability, supposedly, to decrypt and deliver those files to the government. But again, if the, the government can also get a search warrant and bust into your house and take your <laughs> you know, I don't know if it's any less safe there. But that's my only concern with the cloud stuff because it's definitely convenient. It's also cool, like if, if I work on something at home, and I hit save and then I go someplace and I need to look at a file on my phone, I can go to the Dropbox app and just look at the file. Uh, it's really convenient and it is offsite backup. Well, let me just throw something. Let me put some shade on the cloud. <laughs> the, the thing about the, the cloud is great and I have some backups to the cloud, but like, like Nick was saying, it just takes, it's so bandwidth heavy, like with the video files and things like that. that yeah. I wouldn't back those up to the cloud message. Yeah, and yeah. It's, it's even if you use things like Backblaze and things where you can send a drive in, right? So let's mm. say you send in a, a 10 terabyte drive and say, okay, I, wanna, I want you to, to copy this. They'll copy it for you, all right? But then what a pain in the butt to get 10 terabytes back down. So, I mean, and, and I think in services like that, I think they'll actually copy it to a hard drive and send it back. But I'm a big fan of, yes, you can do all that, but man, have there's have a second physical drive that actually has that on it. And if you can't store it off site, because if you don't trust anybody off site, um, 
if you're working on a big project, like right now I'm, I'm working on two documentaries, right? And they're, they're big and they're giant. Um, I literally have a drive for each one as a copy and I just keep it with me in my car. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. just as simple as that because I know if I got a, something happens or somebody breaks in or anything, I know at least I have it, I have it in the car, you know? So I have one, it's, it's the three, you want to have the three, right? You, you want to have three, three copies of all that vital data. Um, and for myself, I have two physical copies here and then I have a physical copy at different places um, away from here. And then every week I kind of make a little, anything new, I'll just, I have a copy of that, but then I'll just, upload it and I'll just give them a copy of the, the drive. Another thing the experts say is you should have it in more than one medium. So like a hard drive and a cloud storage are good or a hard drive and a thumb drive. Like you don't want to have two hard drives because you never know there could be some issue that down the road, you know, you can't plug either of those hard drives in. Or something. Yeah. No, I, I think have two different, at least two different media. I think, well, for, for me, everything's on hard drives because 10 terabyte, you know, thumb drives don't work yet, but I will say they're not all on the same, um, manufacturer's hard drive. Yeah. I'd try to make as different as possible. Yeah. And, and I will also say that for permanent archival purposes, um, I'll always keep updating to whatever the latest hard drive format is. So that's why I don't have to worry about any of my old Firewire drives because any of that important data has already made it up to my Thunderbolt 3 drives because I have a backup mm -hmm. of all that stuff. So you just got to kind of keep up with the technology. And, it's, and as, you, you know, as you transfer from one medium to the next, guess what? You actually just made yourself a backup copy. So I have literally Firewire 400 drives that have a backup of projects that I've stored in, in more recent stuff. But, you know, they're on Firewire 400. But I'll tell you this, Try to find a Firewire 400 cable. <laughs> I think I have about six of them. <laughs> I have about 6,000 of them. <laughs> so, Mike, I, did a, I actually did a video on my channel on Under the Big Tree about precisely the topic of how to be able to back up a large amount of data. And it's actually pretty straightforward. So I did a bunch of research into it. So if you're talking about just making a physical backup of video and audio and all of these big fat files that you have, what I did and what's worked really well is I went and bought on Amazon for all of $30 a, a, a hard drive cloning box. And so you plug this thing in as a USB device, you can stick a, a three and a half inch hard drive in it that doesn't even have an external case because it doesn't need it. You plug it in, then you go and you make copy or you archive off all of the stuff that's on your working drives that you don't want anymore. Then you take a second drive and you plug it in because it has two slots. You hit one button and walk away and it clones it. And you know, from what I've seen, um, IDE format three and a half inch and two and a half inch hard drives are going to be readable for the rest of our lives because there will be some, you know, external mechanism that you can get, you know, whether we're not, we may not be using eSATA anymore, you know, in the same way that we're not using SCSI anymore, but there will be some conversion in which you can take that drive, stick it into a box, and then there'll be a plug that will allow you to be able to suck that data back off again, right? It's like, you know, I'm not worried about things that are going to be in, uh, you know, in fat format, right? Or in, uh, right. you know, you know, the, the various Mac and PC standardized formats because they're used all over the world. You know, there's been billions and billions and billions of hard drives in that format. So, you know, it, that worked out pretty well for me. And, you know, and raw hard drives are incredibly cheap. You don't need to buy fancy ones because all you're doing with it is storing data on it once, right? And so you take it and you put it on and you can store eight terabytes of data for, you know, less than a hundred dollars. And you've got yourself a pretty, a pretty sturdy backup that you can carry around with you. You know what? I'm glad you said that because I've seen that process, you know, and, and I've seen them in Amazon and I've always thought maybe I should get one of these, but here's the thing. I'm such a paranoid individual when it comes to data that I use the just drive to drive, just the straight copy um, because the next morning I can look at that drive and it, I just have copy with confidence. I know that, that, that data is there. And I suppose you could do the same thing with this, but sure. for, for me, I just, I, I don't know. I, I'm really, really paranoid about, about 
stuff, especially like interview stuff. Like when you interview somebody and you get to like, you know, I went and interviewed Dennis Lambert, you know, and that gentleman was such a nice guy and, you know, he's, he was awesome. And it was just, he talked about some stuff that was pretty historically significant. And I was just like, there's a, there's a moment where your data is just priceless. It just, it just becomes so priceless. And so for me, I literally like the value of data I, I, it's, it's like gold. It's like, it's, it's like gold and especially footage and things like that. That's why I, I take the extra expense and all my copies are, are on workable drives, but I think I'm going to investigate what you're talking about, especially for long-term storage too. Right. That's what it's for. It's for archival storage. Yeah. Because it's, it, that's my next thing that I'm coming up with. I've got like, see that little area right back there. I don't know if you can see it, but all that silver, those are all some of my hard drives that I have. And I've got 65 terabytes like right there, right? Like how do you deal with 65 terabytes? <laughs> you know, when are the, when's the promise of the little 100 terabyte yeah. cube going to come across? Because I have it spread over so many hard drives. And those, by the way, that's the extra hard drives. Like those aren't, that's not even the workable. My work drives are these guys right here. See these guys right here? Those are all... 10 terabytes each. And those are all, I do this. I put a different project on a 10 terabyte drive because I don't want to crowd out any of my projects. I want plenty of workspace. And when you're shooting like 4K or when you're doing super high um, sample rates, you know hard drive space goes like this, right? And I can't afford for each one of these drives, like if one drive goes bad, I don't want to lose four projects. <laughs> you know what I mean? If one drive goes bad, I just want to lose one project. I don't want to lose. So I'm a big believer of getting big drives and spreading your work out, but then making backups. And yeah, I have a backup of every single one of those exactly like, you know, because it's just data is priceless. That's the thing. Data is truly, truly priceless. You know, I don't know. Do you guys, am I over going overboard <laughs> or, or, or do you guys treat your data the same way? Oh no, for sure. I, I lost, uh, I learned the hard way like 10 years ago, I lost like a year's worth of recordings on a drive, you know, catastrophic drive failure, nothing, no recovery service could do it. Yeah. It sucks. You lose it. Yeah. I think we've all been there. <laughs> I think the one thing that, that I, I do do also is I, I back up the project, the actual project that I'm working on just because if, if you have, if you have all these backups and then, so your data is safe and then just make little excess little, like when I do a video project, I make, you know, I do always a, an XML output. I always do something yeah. that I know that I can use that. Should I ever have to re, re, uh, reassemble the edit without the, without the program? Cause it's, you're only as good as, as your data, yeah. you know, data is so, it's so important. Um, and I'm going to tell a story, Martin, um, for the longest time, and, and I will say this was like about 12 years ago, he had utter devastation on his work drives. They were four SCSI drives in a bay and one of them died and it was multi, it was written on all of them. And, you know, we had to go to a data recovery place and we recovered and he was in the middle of doing an album and there was no backup at that time. I like... I had him set up on a little backup, but it, it required him to do some steps, which look, not everybody's going to, going to do this kind of stuff. You know, you have to be a certain amount of discipline to do it. And, and so what ended up happening is, is we got a data recovery service to, to recover the data, but it was so expensive. I mean, it was like thousands to get the data back. So we got the data back and here's they got the you by the balls, man. Well, yeah. here's the thing, what they don't tell you. <laughs> Is you may have your data, but that doesn't mean it's going to be in the same hierarchical uh, format as when it was. It may just literally be just tons of files, which guess what? That's what it does. And when you have a Pro Tools session and you have a gazillion fade files and all those little micro files that you make and all that stuff, it was, I literally took me a week just to reconnect stuff, just to get some of his songs back to the where he could work on it. And a couple of songs, um, he had to actually use a demo version and then add to it because we just couldn't recover it. So yeah. it's, it's, it's so important. And don't like, 
look, these little hard drives, they run every day and you're like, wow, this is pretty cool. But they're evil. <laughs> they can turn on you when you just, when you, when you don't know. I mean, just like that, you know, and, and uh, it could really make life really miserable for you. Rob, you do so much software development. What's, what's been your strategy? I mean, software obviously often doesn't take up nearly as much space as a lot of, a lot of these media files, but you know, how do you approach it? Well, and the software doesn't take up that much space, but a lot of what we have to do is come up with strategies for how to back up the data that the software is going to then use. Because a lot of times if it's something for the web, I mean, you could be into terabytes really easily. If it's some giant e-commerce site or, you know, something like that. Uh, the thing about developing software is there are repository systems out there like GitHub and Bitbucket and things that coders use that not only give you a, a cloud backup of everything, but they also store every version of everything. So you can not only get back to all your data, but you can go back to it at any point in time. And you can actually use those systems to store images and audio and, and media files like that, although usually you just use them for source code. But the software world, software development world has pretty good systems set up because you know, it's a bunch of computer geeks not wanting to lose their data. So they came up. And it's amazing. GitHub was created by the same guy who created Linux. Huh. Uh, Linus Corvald, really? Yeah. Pretty smart guy. Yeah, he did both. Wow. That's amazing. That is truly but, amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. It is amazing. That's what, that's what we do. But you know what? You brought up a really good point too. All right. Right now, if you're working on Pro Tools and if you don't have, you know, where it's, you know, where you have the options of how many backups that you want to save or how often you want to save, you should just max both those out. Like save is save auto save is, you know, as frequently as you can because you just never know. And then just make sure you keep tons of versions of that because you just never know when you'll have to go back. And sometimes, um, especially when you can't, if you don't want to version it and you have to roll back to an earlier, it's easier just to go to a session backup than it is trying to recreate or trying to you know, find out what was happening where or when. And it's, it's saved my, my butt more than once you know, doing that. I actually today, it wasn't a Pro Tools thing, it was a software development thing, but I was working on a project that, was, that had some basis in a project I did a zillion years ago. And there was some file I had created, and I remember it was in about 2014, and I had a vague idea of what I might have called it. And thanks to GitHub, I was able to go back and search and find this little tiny nothing file from 2014, just by kind of knowing what the name would be and kind of knowing when it existed. And... It is just such an amazing feeling when you find that little file. <laughs> and it's not like I couldn't have figured out some other way to create it, but it, it's amazing when you have great backup. Yeah. Uh, yeah, if we can talk about this just for one more sec, sure. you know, it, it's, it, I think it's really important to, to discriminate between short-term backup, which is backing up on a daily basis of the work that you're doing, that, of the work that you're doing right now, and then long-term backup slash archiving, right? Yeah, and so. True. So for me, anyway, what's, what's worked is I have two big workstation computers, a cheese grater Mac and then a, a, a home-built PC that I made. And both of them have my work drives, and then they have duplicate drives that are backups of the work drive. And so uh, whether it's Carbon Copy Cloner or Time Machine on the Mac, it's constantly backing up the work that I do on one drive onto the other drive. I don't even think about it. It's in the background. In Windows, I love their backup system. I, it's invisible to me. And it's so smooth that I'm working in Windows and I didn't even realize that it's backing up all of my data at the same time that I'm working with no break in, you know, in what it is that I'm doing at all. So that's the notion of short-term backup, right? And that is the way to be able to solve issues of, um, you know, your work hard drive going down. And then when you get into the situation where you don't need that data anymore, right, or you want to archive it, as I said, then you then you go with the solution that I was talking about earlier, where, you know, you get these raw hard drives, you know, the method that I was talking about, where you put it in, and then you clone and drive off, and then you can get a, you know, you archive it onto two different hard drives and put those in two different locations. Or, you know, as we said, um, putting stuff up into a, into a cloud repository, right? So there's local immediate backup and then there's, you know, more sort of longer term storage where if you had to get it back, even if it took a little bit longer, it would be, it would be okay. I, uh, go ahead, Rob. One thing I'll add to that also, I, I have found over the years that it's a really bad idea just for convenience 
to use any kind of backup that you can't just plug in and access directly. Like there, there have always been a lot of systems that will back up an image, you know, and, and take all your files and compress them down and put it in an image, which will take up less space than the original did. But then you can't directly access things within the image. And it's a total pain in the butt. It's better, as cheap as storage is now, it's better to just always back it up in a form that you could plug in and go and get your file directly as opposed to having to decompress a zip file or some massive image or something like that. No, that's true. And that's actually one of the pros and cons about um, Time Machine because the way Time Machine, you can actually open the Time Machine file and see all your stuff, but the way it's all organized is, is you know, you have certain backups here, certain backups there. But having said that, you have access. Go ahead, Rob. It's just really confusing the way Time Machine backs the stuff up. Yeah. But having said that, you know what? If it's quick, simple, and it works, and it works amongst different computers if you just know how to access other, other Time Machine databases. Oh, yeah. And any backup is better than no backup. <laughs> yeah. You know. I, I will say, you know, if you're on a Mac, there's no reason why you shouldn't have your iCloud on and, have, have, and go ahead and... Uh, I would 100%, especially if you do a lot of videos and stuff like that, pay for the extra iCloud storage and just back everything up into the cloud. It's so, like, you don't have to worry about it. That's the one thing I don't worry about is I don't worry about my Mac computer because everything is backed up. The only thing I would have to do is just reinstall apps. But now those apps are still downloadable. So it's like, you know, it's never been easier for the actual machine to get backed up. And then for, for me, when I go out and I shoot and I'm filming, having to be able to just film on my iPhone if I have to. And then as soon as I get back to the hotel or wherever, it's automatically backing up all my footage to the, uh, to the cloud. So I'm a big, big fan of that. Do you trust iCloud with like sensitive, sensitive financial information and that kind of stuff? Everything go up? Uh, I, I mean, I do because I've never had a bad experience and I don't, you know, I, I just think with all the gazillion files and, and I know my, like my password's pretty locked down on my, on my, um, iCloud. So I'm good with it, but you know, I certainly understand people who, and believe me, <laughs> I don't have anything that sensitive. So <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it's, it's not that bad, but, um, but I, I can, that's always the issue though, is, is just any sensitive data. I mean, and, and each person has a different idea of what sensitive data is for them. Yeah. Yeah. And then you could actually, you know, use personal encryptors and encrypt it before it even goes up there. So there's, there's things that you can do. Um, But having said that, we're going to segue out of that whole thing because I'm going to talk about this before we go, because we just have a few minutes left, but I don't know if you guys upgraded to Catalina yet, but I recently upgraded to uh, OS Catalina. And, um, and let me tell you, it was, I'm glad I waited because basically it's all 64, all 64 bit apps that are, that it only recognizes none of your 32 bit stuff. But if you've been using and updated any of your software within like maybe the last year or two, you've got a 64 bit version of it anyway. Like developers have been really good at like moving their stuff up. And I found a really great small little program called Go 64. So if you guys are thinking about doing this, um, just remember Go 64. And what that does, it's a free program that you can run on your computer and that'll tell you all your apps that are 64-bit and it'll tell you all your apps that are 32-bit. So you just literally, how do you want to sort at 32? And know that none of your 32-bit apps, you know, are going to work that great, you know, and, and they give you a warning message. And I was pleasantly surprised that, all my VSTs and AUs, all the ones that I use all regularly, are they were all 64-bit. There was a 64-bit version of it. And it was so painless to, to update. It really was. It's just, it was like any other update. I ran Go64. I knew the stuff that wasn't going to work. So I basically uninstalled that before I, I did the, uh, the update. And everything works great, even Pro Tools and Live and you know FL Studio, all the stuff that I that I use right now. It was really painless. So I just want to let you guys know. Go ahead, <laughs> if you were thinking about it, but run Go sixty four first. That's the that's the main thing. You got to run that program. Jump in the water is fine. <laughs> <laughs> it, it 
really is. And you know what? You're going to have to anyhow, because the stuff that's coming down the pipe is going to be 64 bit. So, I mean, if you like your system and you don't have to up, upgrade, by all means, don't upgrade. If it's working great, there's no need to, to upgrade. But if you're like me and you tend to just want to, keep up with everything that's happening and you know that certain programs are going to be updated that are only going to be 64 bit. It's, it's not a bad thing to do. Anybody else updated to 60 to Catalina yet? No, I'm when it comes to operating system updates, I like being on cutting edge with a lot of things, but not operating system updates. And I already know, like I like the old version of Microsoft office, which is 32 bit. And so, yeah, I could get the new version, but I don't like the new version. I've tried the new version. So for things like that, I will just hold off for as long as I can yeah. uh, until there's an actual need. Randy, what about you? I was just checking while we were talking. I'm still on High Sierra. I'm not, <laughs> I, don't have, I don't have auto update on, so I'm just I'm chilling back here. It works. Smart man. Smart man. <laughs> what, am I, what am I running? Let's what, see. what about you, Nick? I'm looking. I'm looking. I think you're going to find your... Oh, okay, I'm running Mojave. So okay. So I'm one step ahead of, of Brandon. <laughs> uh, but I, I have to agree. I am... You're going to hate me, Mike, but I'm very much a Luddite along these lines as well. On the Windows side, I stuck with Windows XP as long as I possibly could could me too it was great and now um my primary workstation is running windows 7 and people joke about that you know i hate windows 10 it feels like windows 10 is invasive into your life and windows 7 fast and sleek and it just feels like what an operating system should be on the windows side on the mac side you know i'm perfectly happy with mojave works just mac, i tell people i'm still running housecat <laughs> Oh, oh man, I, I, you know what? I'm just embarrassed for all of you. <laughs> That's all I'm gonna say. All our credibility is shot. <laughs> I'll add up the amount of time that the three of us have spent updating in the last. <laughs> hey, you know, here's the thing. Like, I didn't uh, when it came out last year. I wasn't. I was not on the. You know, I didn't do the the first updates. I knew. I read everything, and I knew what what I was getting into. And I didn't actually start even thinking about it once I saw some of my other apps that were updating. Like, okay, well, now we can work with uh, Catalina, Catalina. So once you, you know, once the developers do that. Uh, for me, I just wanted to go to the next level. And it's pretty cool. I'll tell you, the sidecar with your iPad, it's, that thing is the best thing since sliced bread. It literally turns your iPad into a um, second monitor, and it's, the latency is zilch. It's so, awesome. so nominal. It's the but, most, and, and if you have a pen. Else, But to everyone else out there, there are other systems, like if you have an older Mac OS, there are other systems that do the exact same thing. Just so you know. Yes. You get it just for sidecar. No, but I will say that it works better than the other versions because I, I tried to do this with some of the apps that were in the app store and they're okay, but sidecar is fast. It's, it's super fast. I mean, that's not the only reason to upgrade your, your uh, OS, but that's definitely a, uh, it was definitely a pleasant surprise when I, when I did that, I'm like, wow, that's actually pretty good. And it turns it into a Wacom tablet because you can use the pen and you can use it to that's do cool. all your image editing and stuff. So that was, was pretty cool. Um, My approach to operating systems is, is this. <clears throat> um, if something is working, I tend to stick with it the way that it is along those lines. The forcing function always comes when there is some piece of software that you use that is critical to your business that is no longer compatible with the earlier operating system. So if Reaper or DaVinci Resolve or something like that was no longer compatible with the operating systems that I have, that is what would force me to be able to, 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 to upgrade. And until that point, I'm pretty reticent to do so. Or if it works better on the newer operating system. Yeah. That, that was, for me, a couple of programs that I use actually helped you know, that decision too. Um, especially like Final Cut Pro, FBX Pro. I heard all this really great stuff and running it on, uh, on a Catalina base. And it, sure enough, it works really great. It's really smooth. I haven't had any problems. You know? um, and it, it hasn't been my plan to do it this way, but typically when I've, 
when it's been time for me to move to a new operating system, it's because I needed to get a new computer. Like I needed something to yeah. be faster and it came with the new operating system. So I was forced to shed all the old applications that wouldn't work anymore. And it is nice. It's like a reboot, uh, you know, a clearing out of a bunch of old crap, but the old computer is still running fine with its old operating system. If I need to go back and run any of that old software. You know, that's, that's a good point because um, like I have a, a laptop that, Usually, yeah, I have more than one laptop. So I'll have a laptop that I'll keep up to date to a certain point. But then my old laptops, I'll never update their their uh, software because exactly like you said, Rob, you you still want to have access to using all those old programs. And and, and that, I do that too. I I typically carry three laptops, and usually two of them will have the latest greatest, and one will be the one I use the most. I can always have best of both worlds. <laughs> well, hey, listen, we're going to be wrapping it up. Uh, and I don't know, guys, if you have any, uh, if, if you're even thinking about updating, it's okay. But if you don't want to, that's okay too. Uh, but whatever you do. Glad to hear it was smooth at least. Yeah, yeah it was that's great. It was great. Just run Go64. If you run Go64, you'll know what you're going to have problems with. That's what's so genius about that little pro that little program because you know what back in the day windows should have had a utility because i updates were always such a nightmare they should have had something like go 64 that told you how many hours you were going to waste <laughs> because nothing <laughs> going to work out like, oh this is going to eat up four days <laughs> okay back in the day and let me just ask you this one of the worst things about updating your computer or your hard drive or whatever one of the worst things for me was having to install any of the Spectrasonics plugins because they had all those disks and it was like six hours to like to do like atmosphere. You know what I mean? It was like Stylus RX with all the different packs was like four hours and you had to like put in a disk and you had to, that was the worst. It was so bad. Yeah, been there, man. <laughs> I love downloading software from the internet. My God. <laughs> <laughs> right. Remember when you used to have all those, those CDs oh. and DVDs? All right, let's start installing. You would have to take a whole day just to install your software. just to re And then you had to pray to God that it was like the patch was out there and you could, it'll work on the next version. It was really, it was rough. And I also remember one, I don't remember which library it was, it was a long time ago, but it was installing from CD-ROMs. And I remember I was installing the Spectrosonics library and it's taking forever, it's taking forever. And then disc number 17, oh! multi. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I had read errors on disc 17. So, and there's no way to know that except to spend, you know, eight hours. Getting oh, that was, this is a nightmare. So you're just, just shivers and nightmares. That's the point where Eric Persing drives over a copy of disc 17 with like a hot fudge Sunday. I will say he did get a phone call. <laughs> but having said all that, um, back in the day, there was nothing else like any of his products. And so you, it was, it was worthwhile to have that amazing atmosphere plugin or stylus plugin. So you, yes, it was a pain, but they had so much data and they knew what to do with it. Well, and atmosphere rules. We love Diego Stucco. We love, we love Spectrasonics. Yeah. And imagine what it was like for them back then having to manufacture that. Like, <sighs> yeah. hey, here's the master for disc 23. Here's the master for disc 24 and having to do all the graphics and all the manufacturing. I mean, yeah. it's amazing that anything came out. Yeah, no, between them and Native Instruments, that was your whole, your whole day. Yeah. What are you doing? What are you doing on Saturday, uh, Spectrosonics and Native Instruments? Yeah, I used to say <laughs> on, the, on the Native Instruments box where it says installation requirements, it should have said a week. <laughs> uh, all right, guys. Well, hey, we're going to wrap this up. Uh, anybody have anything they want to talk about? Uh, if not, okay. I I just want to have everybody spread as much love and compassion and empathy to everybody that you run into. That's, uh, that's my message. Absolutely. And Brandon? Um, love is awesome. But also, I, uh, I ordered the Hydrosynth that we, uh, we <laughs> talked about last week. So I went after the show, watched all any demo I could find or, you know, on YouTube. And uh, it's great. So it's on, it arrives tomorrow. So I'll, I'll report back next week. Awesome. That's fantastic. That is so cool, man. All right. Well, hey, I just want to say I want to echo what Nick said. You know, just 
you know, have a little bit of respect for everybody, love everybody. You know, it's, it's crazy times and, and, you know, we're still in a stay at home order at here, although things are slowly but surely opening up and, um, you know, just, just check yourself. And, and I think I'm going to end on this and we could talk about this more later, but one of the best things for society, one of the, the greatest inventions that, that we've had, you know, at least since I've been alive is, is this, is your phone, you know? And if you, if you want to know what you can do, you can document. If you see something bad, just document it. That's all. You don't have to, you know, put yourself in danger, but just having the phone and being able to, to capture moments of injustice and things like that, as well as moments of amazingness and love. It's just, it's, it's truly a remarkable invention that our society has. All right. Well, for myself, if you, well, really quick, if you have any comments or questions, you can reach us at audio at nowcastnetwork.com. That's audio at nowcastnetwork.com. And from myself and all the guys, be safe, stay healthy, and we'll catch you next week. Love you, Thanks for listening to the Audio Nowcast, sponsored by API and Wireworld Pro Audio. The Audio Nowcast is hosted by Mike Rodriguez and features a panel with Rob Arbitier. Bobby Osinski, Scott Gershon, Nick Peck, Diego Stucco, Brandon Birdside, Martin Page, Bobby Summerfield, and maybe a guest or two. We'll see you next time.